Genesis chapter 5 is our text this morning. If you have a Bible, feel free to open it up to Genesis 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some black Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Um, That can be a gift to you. Um, I don't know what I'm doing here with this cord. All right. We're going to be on page 4 in those black Bibles. Uh, So, if you will, please stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived and fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work, and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived and fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days were Lamech of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for uh, your word. Well, this portion of Scripture, Genesis 5, is about genealogy. And as we sit there and read it, we're like, what can we glean from this? Why would you put this in the Bible? 
We know the Bible is your word. It's inspired by your spirit. And there are things you leave in, uh, there's things you leave out, and there's things that you put in for a purpose. And so, Lord, I pray that the word would direct our steps this morning. Lord, that we'd have eyes to see the, the reason why you have put this genealogy in for us here in the year 2018. Even though we seem so far removed from it. Lord, every one of us comes from this line that we're about to go over. And so, Lord, may we, 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 we meditate on that. But also, as we've been covering Genesis, we've seen a couple weeks ago about sin and how it came into the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience and sin brought about death. And Lord, the situation that just happened in, in Pittsburgh yesterday, the, the shooting at the synagogue, Lord, uh, should grieve our heart. It grieves my heart being from that area. Lord, we see the effects of living in a Genesis 3 world. We see the effects of, of hatred. We see the effects, as we will see, the line of Cain, those that are disobedient and running from God and looking to themselves and, and see what that outcome is. So, Lord, we pray that the church, your church, would uh, share the love, the grace, the mercy, that they would weep with those who weep in Pittsburgh and serve where the needs need to be met. And, Lord, may out of this tragedy you bring out joy. And I know that seems a, a, a hard goal to see, but we know as, as Christians in our own experiences, when we've walked through hardships and tragedy, though they're painful and they hurt and we weep and there's sorrow, we feel that deeply. We also know as we look back on those that you are working and you are sovereign. And Lord, that is where our hope and trust is, is in your sovereignty. So give support to those families, those individuals, that synagogue that needs to see the love and the mercy and the grace of Christ in this deep, dark tragedy. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. So Genesis chapter 5. There's been a, a recent boom recently, and individuals wanted to find out where they're where they come from, what their heritage is, right? Go get a, a DNA test from places like Ancestry DNA or Family Tree DNA or 23andMe, right? Because there's, a, there's a, a longing to know where we've come from, where you've come from, where I've come from. Has anyone in here done any of those tests or anything, something like that? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, so there's a couple of people. I know my uncle is putting together a family tree, uh, and I'm looking forward to see, how, you know, one, how far he can go back and where exactly we're from. I think, from my understanding, I'm a, I'm a fourth Scottish, a fourth Irish, a fourth Russian, and a fourth Italian, even though my name's Italian. So that's what I am. I'm a, I'm a mutt, like many of you in here, right? Um, but I want to know, you know, how far can we go back? Where do I come from? Where do you come from? Um, this morning, we're going to see that everyone in this room comes from Genesis chapter 5. This is our heritage, and it doesn't take any blood, it doesn't take any DNA from us. We know from Scripture, as we go through Genesis 5 and Genesis 6, this is where we come from. Not only do we understand that Adam and Eve were our first parents, this is where humanity came from, Adam and Eve, but also we know that we can also trace our heritage back to Noah and his wife. Because we see in Genesis chapter 6 through 8 that the Lord brings a flood and wipes out every living creature except for eight individuals, eight people. And Noah and his wife, who's not named in the Bible, Jewish tradition calls her Nahum, um, we come from them. And so this is what we're going to look at today. That means everyone in here is from the ancient Near East. Think about that for a second. That's where we all come from. 
everyone in here is at least one in 1,024th ancient Near East. Oh, if you're up on your uh, culture, you know what I'm talking about there. All right. Well, today we're going to look at the godly line of Adam through his third son, Seth. And the characters we're going to focus on, there's a lot of them in here, but we're only going to focus on three. We're going to focus on Enoch, Methuselah, and Noah. So let's first look at Enoch. The majority of our time we're going to spend, we're going to spend on Enoch. Genesis 5, uh, verse 1, verses, verses 1 through 3. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So just start out there. In, in, in all the other ways we see this is the generations. Here we see Moses point out that there's a book. Uh, he's reading from a book like this. Someone has written down and reading his generation. It's not like my uncle is creating for us. So this is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made man in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named them man when they were created. Verse 3, and when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his own image. And he named him Seth. Now, what Moses is doing, why these first three verses are here, is because we just walked through Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 4. And that's, those are some dark chapters, right? Genesis 3 is when sin has come in, and sin brings what? Death. And then we see the downward spiral just seems to be out of control when we look at Genesis chapter 4 in Lamech. And what the Lord wants to do, knowing that he just wrote Genesis 3 and 4 through Moses, is that he still wants to give us hope. The people could be looking around and reading these stories and like, where's the hope? And so he wants to remind the people that the Lord God still has a plan. And he's still executing that plan. And nothing is going to thwart that plan. He is still going to use his image bearers to bring about the cultural mandate, to bring about life, to bring about rescue and salvation and blessing. And so that's why verses 1 and 3 are there. Because after you get through chapter 4, you're like, man, this this is not going in a good direction. But God reminds us that he is at work. And it's going to come through this line of Adam and Adam's third son, Seth. Because just think about it. Adam and Eve just lost their first two children. And, 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 and the studies tell us that the toughest thing for parents to go through is when they see the death of a child. And Adam and Eve lost both of their child. First they lost um, Abel, right, to their own son Cain killing their own brother. But they also lost Cain. Why? Because he was banished from them. And so we see even the God's mercy in carrying out his plan here that Adam is blessed with a third son, Seth. Now, I know most of us in here, when we heard we were going through Genesis chapter 5, or we just read Genesis chapter 5, many of you in here, are, what's your, what was your natural reaction? Oh, man, right? Anyone, anyone in here who wants to be honest with me, go ahead and raise your hand, right? Boring, right? When, I, when Rhea said, hey, what are we going through this? I said, we're going through Genesis chapter 5. She goes, ick. I'm like, what is ick? I don't even know what that means, ick. Right? And we get that, right? Because, I mean, these are a bunch of like, you know, Klingon names that we can barely pronounce, and it's like I have nothing in common with them. I was like, what, what, how do we even spend, why do we even spend time on these guys? But over a little digging, we'll see some really good nuggets for us. There's some, there's some purpose in here. Like I was praying, there's purpose that this genealogy is here for us. One, it shows us that the Lord is executing his plan through the line of Seth, and the serpent crusher will come through this line. But also, a genealogy is not boring if you're in it. And that's what I want to remind you again, is that our story is a part of and can be traced back to Genesis chapter 5. This is our heritage. This is our lineage. So, 
as you know, as, as Daniel was reading, you probably saw a, a, a rhythm that was there. And, 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 and this would have really stuck out as, as people, especially Moses' audience, was reading through um, Genesis chapter 5. Every section of each genealogy we read, how does it end? And he what? Died. And he died. What we see is the effects of Genesis 3 really coming to pass, right? When sin comes in, there comes death. Now, most of us in our modern mind, we read this and we're like, man, those guys lived a long, long time, right? And, and we go like, our question is, well, how, how could they have lived that long? But that's the wrong question. The right question, in particular to Moses' time, is like, death is real. And it's not how long they're living, as we see, and we're going to see, in particular, next week in Genesis chapter 6, that the Lord even shortens the days to 120 years or less because sin is in effect. And so how they're reading this is they're reading this is like, not how long they live, but look, death is real, and our lifespan is actually decreasing because of sin. We read this in verse 5. And he died in verse 8. And he died in verse 11. And he died in verse 14. And he died in verse 17. And he died in verse 27. And he died in verse 31. And he died. You you can feel the weight of that, right? Death is, is a big part of this chapter. But in the midst of death, we see God's grace and mercy. Look at verse 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he died. Oh, doesn't say that, does it? And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch didn't die. He was there, and then God took him, and he took him alive. People reading that, even us reading that, would be stunned because the the rhythm was broken, and not in a bad way, but a very good way. They would say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, this guy didn't die? What do we mean this guy didn't die? What happened? Why didn't he die? What do you think? Why didn't he die? Let's look at verses 21 through 24 and ask yourself that question. If you can pick out the hint of why Enoch might not have died. Verse 21 says this. When Enoch, well, let's start in verse 18. When Jared lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Isn't that kind of funny, though, just real quick, reading all these names, and all of a sudden you come to Jared? I mean, doesn't it seem like a little bit out of place? You know, you got Enosh and, you know, Mahalahel and Kenan and all these guys, and then Jared, right? And instantly my thought mind went to what your mind did. Oh, he must have went to Jared, right? Or at least the wife did. Anyways, I don't know why. All right, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God, and then he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So what is the hint that we have in those verses of why Enoch was taken up? Anybody? That he walked with God. That's exactly right. We see that mentioned twice, that he walked with God. So the question is, what does it mean to walk with God? Because I don't know about you, but I would love to escape death, right? Hey, if Enoch walked with God, and I could walk with God, and I could escape death, what does that look like, right? Anyone else in here with me? That's what I do. Now, we understand that this is not the norm. This is not the norm. The death ratio is one to one. And only two people in the Bible have defeated or proved that wrong. Do you guys know who won? One is Enoch. Who is the other one? 
Elijah, and we read about him in 2 Kings, that, that God took him up in a whirlwind. But everyone else will taste death. So we want to focus on this phrase. What does it mean to, to walk with God? But before we do that, I want you to notice something very subtle in verse 22 and ask yourself this question. You see, when you're going through genealogies, when you're studying the Bible, there's, there's words and there's phrases that should perk our, our minds to ask questions. And here's another one. The question is, um, when did Enoch start to walk with God? Verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. There's the time clause. When did Enoch start, walk, walk, start walking with God? After he gave birth, or after he fathered Methuselah, his wife gave birth. So what does that imply? That implies that there were 65 years where Enoch didn't walk with God. He wasn't a believer. He did not walk with God. So what happened? What, what convicted Enoch's hawk to all of a sudden turn to, to follow the Lord God? And one thing that the Scripture says that brought conviction to Enoch was the birth of his child, Methuselah. Now, this, we, we get this, especially those of us that, that maybe have been married and all of a sudden have a, have a child. All of a sudden, when that child is born, we feel, uh, as parents, a weight. Uh, we, we have all of a sudden this new little life that we are responsible to, to direct. And all of a sudden, when people have kids, this question pops in our mind. Oh, man, where, where do we need to start going to church, Right? We, we, we got to get some positive influence on our child. We need to get him around some, some good kids. We need to get him going to a youth group or a campus ministry. Isn't it interesting how when people have children and they look at the culture in which they live, all of a sudden they want to run to the church. I don't know about you, but this is how my family was introduced to church. This is how my brother and I started going to church. In about the third grade, um, my, my, my parents, we moved to Tucson, Arizona. Uh, my dad was a, was a hippie. He was a 60s. He was an artist. He was a Woodstock guy. And then we moved out to Tucson, Arizona from Pennsylvania. And he's like, man, we got to get some good influence on Aaron and Marcus. So where did he send us? He sent us to vacation Bible school. And through that, we came to know the Lord. And that's what we see it happen to Enoch. All of a sudden, he's not walking with God. Then he has a child, and he's like, uh-oh. i got to get some influence on my son, Methuselah. And this maybe is part of the conviction that Enoch uh, brought, him, brought Enoch to, to the Lord. So what does walking with God mean? It's a, it's a familiar word with us, or phrase with us, uh, because we understand the New Testament. The, the analogy of uh, uh, the Christian is, is through walking with God, uh, by walking. Ephesians 5 points this out. If anyone wants to walk or, like Christ, we, we look at the love of Christ in Ephesians chapter 5. So walking with what God refers to a, a journey, but it's much more than a, a, a traveling, going from place A to place C. It's talking about a journey that is an intimate journey. There's a, a deep relationship. We, 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 we talk to one another and say, hey, how's your relationship with Christ? Or how's your walk with Christ? We're not talking about, again, a, a physical journey as much as we're talking about how's your relationship with Jesus. And this is what we're talking about here. This deep relationship that Enoch had with the Lord God. Now here's the crazy thing. For us to understand what that looked like for Enoch, we have to go to the New Testament. Because this is really the last time we see Enoch here. There's another time, a couple more times he's mentioned in genealogy, but it doesn't give us any detail on what it means that Enoch walked with God. So therefore, the New Testament fills in the blank of what it looks like to walk with God. So now we can understand what it looks like to walk with God. And to do that, we need to first go to Hebrews chapter 11. So turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. 
You guys are probably familiar with this, Hebrews chapter 11. It's, it's the hall of faith where, or, where the writer highlights some individuals that we look to that says, these men, these women walked with God. And this is what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. It, it colors in the detail on what it means that Enoch walked with God. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so they should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So what's the first thing that we see in filling in the detail, the color of what it means that Enoch walked with God? The first thing we see is that he believed. He had faith in who the Lord God was. It says that he believed that he existed. That's the first thing. That's something that we also, for our, if we want to walk with God, the first thing that we have to do is believe in the Lord God. Now, in the New Testament, as we know, that the Lord God became man and dwelt among us. The Lord God there, who, who, who was the incarnation of God, is Jesus Christ. He is the man that was born of the Virgin Mary. He is the one that, that grew up and lived the perfect life in your place and my place. He is the one that died on the cross to make payment for the debt that we should have paid. He's the one that rose again. So therefore, the one that we believe in, the one that we exercise faith in, if we want to walk with God, we look to Jesus. And we believe he is who he said he is. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. So that's the first thing we see to walk with God. For Enoch, thousands of years ago, as in well, the 2018, if we were to walk with God, we are to have faith in Jesus. Now this, this faith produces something. It produces something. Faith and, and faith alone were saved, but faith is never alone, as Martin Luther said. It produces something in our life. If a, a person is genuinely saved, true authentic conversion has taken root in your heart and my heart um, because we put our faith in Jesus. That's the cause of, of, of our salvation, is our faith in Christ, in the gospel. And then there's an effect that's produced or a fruit that is produced from our faith. And that cause will be evident in our lives, and that is, it produces good work. So do we see that in Enoch's life? For that, we need to turn to the book of Jude. So now go to the book of Jude. The book of Jude is right before the book of Revelation. It's the last book before the book of Revelation. So turn to Jude chapter 14. And what we're tracing is we're seeing what it means to walk with God. First, we've got to have faith. We've got to believe who Christ is and what he's done for us, that he is our Lord, that he is our Savior, that we are sinners, and the only way to God the Father is through Christ. That's the only way to be saved. And second, we see that this faith that took Enoch's heart also takes us, it produces something. This is what we see it produces in Enoch in Jude chapter 14. It says, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh, that's a very important, seventh from Adam, very important thing we'll come back to, prophesied saying, behold... The Lord God comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and that all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against us. Verse 16 says, These are the grumblers, the malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So what did Enoch's faith produce in himself? It, it produced an ambassador. It produced a proclaimer. It's, it, it produced someone that lived a godly life and called out ungodliness. 
That's what it produced in Enoch's life. He proclaimed the truth of God's holiness and his character and also his judgment to his circle of influence, to the culture around them. So therefore, a part of walking with God means to be his proclaimers, his ambassadors here on earth. This is what Enoch is, and this is what we are to do. This is a part of what it means to walk with God, to to please him, even when the message is not popular. Because this is a message that he proclaimed of judgment. He proclaimed against those that were ungodly. You see that word four or five times in these two little verses. So this is a good check in our heart. Do you walk with God? If I ask you, hey, do you walk with God? You could say, yeah, I walk with God. I say, well, how do you know you walk with God? Here's two real simple ways that we look to Enoch that said this is what pleased God the Father in Enoch's life can also prove in us. First and foremost, do you believe in who Jesus is? Do you believe Jesus? And once you believe Jesus, if you truly believe Jesus, we're going to see that in your life. And one way we see that in your life and my life is that we proclaim the excellencies of him. We tell people about Jesus. We even call out ungodliness. And so... This is part of how we can look at our own lives. Look at your own lives and see if you are calling out ungodliness. Sin, first in your own life. And then if you're married in your spouse's life. And you have kids in their lives. And if you're not, how about your friends' lives? Your co-workers' lives? Your family's lives? When is the last time that you saw ungodliness happen around you and you brought the, the gospel and God's word to it and called it out? And called it out for what it is? This is part of what it looks like to walk with God. This is, a, this is a fruit of what it means to walk with God, is that we call out ungodliness. We call out sin. Now, that's tough. It's tough. And, and, and a wise pastor taught me before I even got in the ministry, when he was discipling me, he said this. He says, Aaron, if you go into ministry, if you're a Christian, one of the, one of the things that should character, characterize your life is not what you're against, but what you're for. So I want to I balance this real quick. Now when people see Aaron Santini, they see not what I'm against primarily, but they see what I'm for primarily. That they see I'm for love, grace, mercy, repentance, humility, forgiveness, not only asking for it, but extending it. They see service. They, they, they see me laying down their li- my life for them more than they're laying down my life. They, they see love. And then, when it comes to calling out ungodliness in others' lives, they'll listen. Why? Because they understand that I care for them first. They know I'm trying not to be holier than thou, but to say, hey, this will lead you down a path of death and destruction. And so that's a good word to balance this out. First and foremost, people need to know what you're for. What you're for Christ, his gospel, his love. And so that when you do have to draw a line in the sand, and there's times you're going to have to draw a line in the sand, that they know the reason why you're doing that is because you love them. And you don't want to see them go down a path of destruction. Over the past year, we've had a number of handful of families that have left the crossing because of this very issue. We stood on the truth of, of what a biblically defined marriage is. We stand on the truth of what gender is. And, and, and we've loved them and then we serve them, but there's a time where they say, no, if God is love, then this, 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 and this. And it just doesn't line up with Scripture. So there are times where we have to draw the line, just like Enoch did. 
But again, first and foremost, your life should be known what you're for, not what you're against. So walking in godliness, again, doesn't mean you're holier than thou. It surely doesn't mean you're walking in ungodliness. But when we talk about walking in godliness, we're talking about encouragement. We're talking about calling out the goodness of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord, and and prayer and repentance and extending forgiveness. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to walk in the Lord. This is what we see in Enoch. This is a part of what it looks like to walk with God, to believe in him. And as we do that, we know there's a heart change and that we will go go out and be ambassadors for him, proclaiming the truth, the whole truth in love, and in grace. So, also, now I also wanted to point out something else about Jude that I read that talked about the seventh generation of Adam. Now, this is important. So go back to Genesis chapter 5, and we'll see this important aspect that uh, Moses is pointing out to us. The seventh generation of Adam, because if you look in Genesis chapter 4 and in Genesis chapter 5, you see in Genesis chapter 4 there's an Enoch, and in Genesis chapter 5 there's an Enoch. So what Jude is saying that this Enoch is a very specific Enoch. It's not the one in Genesis chapter 4, it's the one in Genesis chapter 5. It's the one that comes from Adam's seventh generation with the, through Seth. And this is what he's pointing out. In Genesis, between Genesis 4 and Genesis 5, Moses is contrasting two legacies, Two lines, the line of Cain and the line of Seth. This is what's being compared in contrast. Francis Schaeffer says this, he points this out in The Mark of a Christian. There are two types of people in this world, and everyone in here is one of these two types of people. Quote, he says this, there are two humanities. That is true. Some people made in the image of God still stand in rebellion against him. Some, by the grace of God, have cast themselves Believe by faith upon God's solution. And this is what Moses is doing right now. He's, he's contrasting two lines. The line that Adam had Cain, and then we see Cain's line. The seventh generation in Cain's line is Lamech, the guy that we read about last week. And then Adam, then came Seth, and then Seth's line, the seventh generation, is Enoch. So what's going on here? The seventh generation is very important because the seventh generation in Cain's line is Lamech compared to the seventh generation in Seth's line is Enoch. And the reader back then in particular, would, this would just be highlighted big time. And what we're doing here is, Moses is doing is Cain's line is seen as the unholy, the sinful, boasting about redefining marriage. God said marriage between a husband and a wife, and he says, no, I'm going to take more wives. So he introduced polygamy. And then he sings a song, he writes a song, and he sings it to his wife about murdering at least one guy. But there was probably more. So he's boasting about polygamy. He's boasting about being a murderer. He's boasting about being disobedient. He's boasting about not walking with the Lord. So it's being highlighted in Genesis chapter 4. And then when Moses brings in Seth's line and highlights Genesis chapter 5, this is what it looks like to walk with God. Look at Enoch. Enoch was just, we see in stark contrast, he was one that walks with God. He pleased God. How? By faith. And therefore he gets the blessing. This, This is what's happening here. Important aspect comparing these two lines. And we get this. Uh, A.E. Winship traced two men's genealogy. I've shared this a number of years ago, but I want to share it again with you. Between Max Jukes and Jonathan Edwards, I have a picture up here that has the, the heritage or the, the, the legacy of these two men. 
First, Max Jukes. Max Jukes was an atheist. He lived a godless life. He married an ungodly girl, and from their union were 310 who died as paupers, 150 were criminals, seven were murderers, 100 were drunkards, and more than half the women were prostitutes. Of his 540 descendants, the majority lived in poverty and cost the state $1.2 million, which back then was an, a gazillion dollars. Compared that, that would be the line of Cain, Max Jukes, and then you see Jonathan Edwards. He married a godly gal, spouses, I mean, just singles in there. There's a word to you. Uh, Max Jukes married an ungodly girl. Jonathan Edwards married a godly woman. Vice versa. Men marry godly women. Women marry godly men. And the investigation was made into Jonathan Edwards' 1,400 known descendants. 13 became college presidents, 65 college professors, 3 United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, 1 vice president of the United States, 80 became public officials in other capacities, 295 college graduates, among whom were the governors of states and ministers to foreign countries. In his descend, in his, and all of his descendants did not cost the state a single penny. This is what we're contrasting in Genesis 4 and Genesis 5. A legacy. Now, how important is that question for us this morning? What is your legacy? What are you leaving behind? What is coming after you? Now, we all have physical descendants. But even more importantly, what is our spiritual legacy? And and, and which line is it going to line up with? See, here's what we know that, again, everyone has a physical uh, genealogy, but we also have a spiritual one. How is that going? Look at your life. Pause. Look at Genesis 5. Read Genesis 4 and Genesis 5 and see the contrast that those that do not walk with God and those that do walk with God. I know everyone in here wants to walk with God, so what does that look like? How do we get to Genesis 5? Again, first and foremost, it begins with us as individuals believing on who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And what he's called us to in obedience. And then by the power of his spirit, informed by his word, we walk together to live out the gospel. Now some of you in here are first generation Christians. The Lord has bestowed an incredible blessing and mercy and grace on you. Because if you look at your legacy, you come from tough backgrounds. You don't come from a a background that even mentions Jesus in their name, but maybe pickets Jesus says he's just a myth, and by God's grace, he's given you the opportunity to, to go back to your family and to be a bright light. It's an incredible blessing. Some of you have come from long, gospel-centered, believing families. And be thankful that you come from that line, and now you understand the importance to carry on that line. And so this is where we are. Where are you in leaving a legacy and I really want to pause here and, 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 and just highlight the men. Whether you're a single man, whether you're a husband, whether you're a father, because in Scripture, uh, the Lord gives the, the weight of leadership, spiritual leadership to you and me as men. Uh, we have a saying, as you guys know, you win the men, you win the war. Because of our influence. A stat you guys have heard me share, and I'm going to share it again. If you're in a non-believing family and a child comes to faith, 8% of the family follows. If you come from a non-believing family and, a, and the mom, the woman, comes to faith, 17% of the family follows. If a husband or father comes to faith, 
90% of the family follows. That's an incredible statistic. The weight of leadership, the weight of influence that men have is astronomical. Now, ladies, do you have influence? Absolutely. You have massive influence. You're incredibly, incredibly important. My wife, we're co-laborers, as we saw in Genesis chapter 2, and she has influence on my kids just like I do. But for whatever reason, God has given us the mantle men to be the spiritual leaders of our home. We see this in Acts chapter 16 on how that stand I just read comes back. We have the Philippian jailer. You guys remember that account. Paul and them are in, are in prison, and they're singing that they're in prison. The joy of the Lord is flooding their hearts, and all of a sudden there's an earthquake. The, 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 the cells open up, and, and all the prisoners flee except for Paul and them. And, and, and the, as they're getting ready to stand there, they hear the Philippian Jericho call, I'm going to kill myself because part if you lose any prisoners, you would kill yourself, and as the one that oversees the prisons. And, and Paul stopped them, and he, and he proclaimed the gospel to them. Not only to, to, to the Philippian jailer, but also his whole family. And the scripture says, and the jailer and the whole family came to Jesus. Men, we have an incredible opportunity, privilege to lead our families, our communities, the, the, the circles, the uh, spheres of where we have influence to Jesus. So men, how are you doing in this area? How are you doing leading, first and foremost, your life? How's your vertical relationship with the Lord? How are you doing in your word? How are you doing in prayer? How are you doing in getting involved in community? Men, dads, husbands, fathers, how are we doing leading our wives? Are we opening the Bible with them? Are we praying with them? Are we serving them? How are we doing leading our children? Are are we getting them to to, to church on Sunday? Are we getting them to life group? Or or are you missing it more often than not? How are we doing, men? We want to be men that fall in the line of Seth. Enoch, Jonathan Edwards. Don't you? I know I do. So when I was reading this, man, conviction just came over my soul to say, hey, I have an opportunity, Lord, please use me. Help me recognize where I'm falling short. Humble my heart and then give me the grace, the mercy, the community around me to help me build a better man to lead my family, my kids, my wife, this church, my friends, and to leave a legacy for Jesus. This is why Genesis 5 is so important because this is what the Lord is highlighting. He's highlighting two legacies, Cain's and Seth. So secondly, let's look at Methuselah and we'll cover these two very quickly. Genesis chapter 5, 25 through 7, 27. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after her father Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Now, if you look at all the ages in Genesis chapter 5, you see that Methuselah lived the longest. He lived the longest. In fact, if you're a Bible trivia guy or gal, um, Methuselah is the longest living human to ever live, at least according to the Bible, 969 years. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had to pick a vocation back then, it'd be a life insurance salesman. I don't know about you, right? I mean, because these dudes lived a long time, and collecting all those premiums for all those months would be a, a, a good job, job security, right? But now, why is this so significant? Methuselah, living 969 years. Because commentators say his name has two different meanings, and one of those meanings is this. When he is dead, it shall be sent. 
Methuselah means when he is dead, it shall be sent. What do you think is sent when Methuselah dies? Genesis chapter 6 in the flood. See, names in particular back then had significance and purpose. And it's not an accident that Enoch, one who fathered Methuselah and gave him this name, as we saw in Jude, understood about God's holiness and righteousness and justice. He understood what was godly and ungodly, as we read that in June, and he called it out. So therefore, we might see that Enoch gave Methuselah, I mean, uh, yeah, Methuselah this name because he understood what was coming via his relationship with the Lord. He understood that judgment was coming, but here is where we see God's mercy and grace in Methuselah. We see it here because Methuselah lived longer than any other human, as far as we know, and according to Scripture. Six, uh, 969 years. So God, in His mercy, extended His grace, extended His mercy, so people would have the maximum time to what? Repent. Repent. To see, to see their sin and to repent in the Lord God. That is the mercy of God right there. That is the mercy of God. And see, a lot of times people talk about in salvation and point out, and it's awesome, that they point out the Lord's love and His grace and His justice and His righteousness. And amen to all those. But may we start pointing out even more often His patience with us. His patience in particular when it comes to salvation, your salvation and my salvation. He's given you ample, He's given me ample years to to walk in sin and, and, and stumble over myself. And he didn't, he didn't judge me right then, but he gave me years to see the, my need for a Savior. And he used those times to bring me to himself. For me, it took 18 years. For me, the Lord opened up my eyes when I was a senior in high school. Uh, that's when he opened my eyes. When did he open your eyes? How patient was the Lord with you? How long did he let you walk apart from him? For Enoch, it was 65 years. For me, it was 18. For some of you, it might be earlier than 18. For some of you, it might have been 30 years, 40 years. We've had some people here come to faith later on in their life. There's some people that I know that are on their deathbed and came to faith 70, 80 years. And again, in this, in Methuselah, we see his grace and mercy. Yes, we see the judgment, but we also know that God is more than just a God that's, that's, that's a God of justice. He's also a God of mercy and grace. And here, he gives the maximum time that people can repent and believe. So this morning, look at your life. How many years did he give you? And thank him. Thank him for your, his patience in you and then bringing you to Christ. And finally, Noah. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks on Noah, so this is just going to be real brief. In verse 28, it says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring relief from all of our work and the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 770 years, and he died. Verse 32, And Noah was 500 years old when he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Here again, we have a little bit more commentary than all the other accounts. It says this, that out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, because of Genesis 3, this one, Noah, shall bring relief from our work and also the pain of toil of our hands. Lamech here was probably looking at his son. 
when he was given his son, and then this word came out. He said he set this blessing over him. Lamech might have said, could this be the serpent crusher? Could this be the Savior that we've been longing for? Now, he was looking forward. He was looking forward. In Noah, we see there's both judgment and salvation. And so Lamech and probably had hope that maybe Noah was the guy to save us from this world. But we know as we look back that Noah wasn't the guy to save. He was an important part, but he was a pointer to Jesus. He was a pointer to Jesus, to Jesus who took on our judgment and was our Savior. And we're going to really unpack that over the next couple weeks. So as we just gone through Genesis chapter 5, there's some great nuggets for us to walk out of here. We started Genesis 5 and we read that. We're like, oh, what what does this chapter have anything to do with us? We've seen some great ways that we can go out there and meditate on some things. One, the Lord is still working His plan of salvation through us as image bearers. Two, we learn what it looks like to walk with the Lord. That we believe that He is who He said He is. That we repent and trust in Him as our Lord and our Savior. And in that, He's given us His Word. He gives us His Spirit so that we can go out and live a gospel-centered life. Not perfectly, but one that trends towards love and obedience to Christ. And then we can see and thank the Lord for His patience. Not only with us, but now we can extend those patience to others just because of how much the Lord has extended His patience towards us. And we see the contrast of two legacies, the legacy of Cain and the legacy of Seth. And our desire is to follow in that legacy of Seth, the one that, that unites us with Christ and what he's doing in this world. And so we have some great stuff to meditate on, Genesis chapter 5, as we leave here. So let's pray. Father, thank you for Genesis chapter 5. Lord, we see why a little bit why you've put this in here for us. A lot of great nuggets in here for us to look and to examine our life, Lord. And I know most of the people's hearts in here is to, is to fall in the line of Seth, to fall in the line of Enoch and uh, Methuselah and ultimately Noah, because ultimately that points us to Christ. And Lord, that is our desire, that we want to follow Christ with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and strength. We want to love you and love our neighbor as ourself. And we can only do that if we are yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.